While we were marching through Georgia, everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The Alaman left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right to left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. Okay, this is a moving through Georgia extra. We're going through the papers. I am going through Georgia Historical Newspapers, which is free and has an amazing array of old newspapers from the 18 and 1900s. So I thought we might pull some interesting stuff out of the newspaper one more time. We will start with the Cleveland Courier, devoted to education, mining, and agriculture in White County. This is Friday, April 9th, 1897, and the headline is, This is No Joke. 18 of the young ladies who attend the Lucy Cobb Institute at Athens, Georgia, slipped out of the Institute grounds on All Fool's Day and began at once to enjoy the novelty of breaking in on the usual quiet of the dignified and classic town. They were in a careless, reckless, schoolgirlish mood, and they let their mood lead them where it would. Some had their hats on, and some were bareheaded. All of them were bent on having a good time, and while on the business streets indulged in calling out and talking and otherwise enjoying themselves to their heart's content. Kind of sounds like fun. All right, let's, let's do the third paragraph. The young ladies who took part in the joke violated the rules of the Lucy Cobb Institute and by so doing were dismissed from the college and sent home. They are very sorry of the results of their piece of fun. The Lucy Cobb Institute was a school for girls that closed in 1931. The main building and the chapel are now part of the campus at UGA. Now, as someone who used to work on newspapers himself, I really and truly uh, respect the journalistic integrity of the Cleveland Courier. They're at least willing to admit when they're wrong. This is from the same issue. Mr. Herbert Gladstone declares that the story recently published in many newspapers that his father had learned to ride a bicycle is a hoax. This next one contains a bit of a mystery. This is also from the Cleveland Courier. This is April 16th, 1897. The column heading is Court News. Court opened up in the usual manner Monday morning with Judge John J. Kimsey presiding. The grand jury is composed of an able body who guarded well the every interest of the county. Cleveland is taking on quite a metropolitan air. We have even been afflicted with the medicine vendors, county paper solicitors, the gypsies, and all other similar characters coming in from the four corners of the earth. Notwithstanding all this, we are always glad for court week to roll around. The people come in together and have a jolly good time. Well, not everybody has a jolly good time. Let's see who does and who doesn't. The following cases were disposed of. Alf Courtney, assault and battery, fined $50 and costs or 12 months on the chain gang. J.A. Ledford, simple larceny, found guilty and fined $10 and costs or 6 months on the chain gang. Bob Stevens, misdemeanor, plea of guilty, fined $10 and cost or 12 months on the chain gang. 
Very airy. Misdemeanor, $10 or three months on the chain gang. And that guy doesn't even have to pay costs. And here's the mystery. John Watkins, rat tailing. Plea of guilty, fine $10 in cost or six months on the chain gang. Now, I have looked in a bunch of different places, but I cannot find a crime called rat tailing. The only rat tailing I know of is when you're swimming and somebody takes a wet towel and kind of winds it up and snaps it at you. And that's not illegal, even though it probably should be. One of the online dictionaries I looked at said this might be a misspelling of retailing, but retailing isn't a crime. If you happen to know anything about the crime of rat tailing, I'm not asking you to confess or anything, but please let me know, movingthroughgeorgia at gmail.com. Okay, we are going to change gears here, and we're going to change newspapers. This is the Demarest Times in Demarest, Georgia, July 6th, 1894. If you know Demarest, it's a small, quiet place. Here is the headline, Killing in Demarest. It is the province of the newspaper to give the news as it is, and thus we are forced to print the story of Demarest's first murder. About 7.30 o'clock, it actually says 7.30 o'clock, on the evening of July 4th, two sharp reports like those of a pistol rang out on the evening air, and those who were looking saw Roe Waldrop, an employee at Porter's Mills, suddenly begin to move around in a circle as though he was dizzy and fall flat upon his face with a bullet hole in his head. He was shot by Joe English, aided and abetted by his brother Jack. The Englishes both got away and went to their homes, where Jack was arrested about midnight by Mayor Bangs, Marshal Nix, Sheriff Fuller, and others. It is reported that Jack claims his brother Joe did the shooting. The coroner's jury returned a verdict in which Joe English was found guilty of murder and Jack English an accessory. Staying with the Demarest Times, this is October 5th, 1894. Anyone who is familiar with the history of Demarest would not be surprised to know that they had a column for the Women's Christian Temperance Union. The public meeting held by the Demarest WCTU at their headquarters last Friday afternoon was an occasion of much interest to all present having the White Ribbon Movement at heart. The meeting was held in response to a call to observe the week from September 22nd as Self-Denial Week. Each member of the army of more than 200,000 women, as well as part of the men as honorary members, were asked to deny themselves something that would cost money and send that amount to the National Union for the cause. Between 2 and $3 was received by the Demarest Union, which will be duly forwarded. Although one person admits they didn't give anything up and still kicked in a dollar. The lawmakers, in the interest of the saloon, are not tardy or indifferent to their work. Neither is the saloon keeper slow in setting the trap to ensnare his victims. And should not all those who hate the liquor traffic be found eager to help in any way to overthrow it? This next one is a little unusual. It's a newspaper called The American Union, published in West 
Bowersville, Georgia, in this case, August 9th, 1890. They list West Bowersville as being part of Franklin County. Now, there is a Bowersville in Hart County, and it is right on the border. So it's possible that when they created Hart County in 1854, long before this paper was published, they might have drawn the line right down the middle of Bowersville, turning it into two separate towns. This is an editorial from the American Union, August 9th, 1890, and the title is A Strong Protest, What a Bright Woman Thinks of Modern Dress. There's a lot here, but I like this part. Does the lady returning from the theater for her late cognac and champagne think that she can sit with her body well exposed in an uncurtained window of the cafe, before which men and women of the street stand gazing and then count herself the more superior of that other woman looking in? Tell us, lady, if you can, when you exhibit yourself for promiscuous sunbathing before a thousand spectators in a bathing costume which stops where it does, how much more modest are you than the circus dancer or the mermaid in the ten-cent variety show? An immodest dress does not cover a modest woman. So ladies, if you are returning from the theater somewhere in Franklin County and decide to stop in one of those cafes with the big windows to order cognac and champagne, please dress accordingly. Okay, this is an unusual story. This is the Hardwell Sun, Hardwell, Georgia. This is June 11th, 1879. There's a section here called Editorial Melange and just has a little bit of everything in it. Dr. O.M. Doyle of Tacoa extracted a mini ball out of a Franklin County man's head last week that had been in there for 15 years. Liberty Hill Church, five miles above Tacoa, is afflicted with a ghost, says the news. A lady near Union Point has a piece of common lye soap that was made 39 years ago. And Dosia Peeler, near Gainesville, has been arrested on the charge of infanticide. A child's skeleton was found, and it was hard for the doctors to decide whether the bones were that of a cat or an infant. The woman has confessed, however. And I will close with one last column from the Hartwell Sun. This is February 7th, 1919. They have a column called Letters from the Boys Over There. They reprint letters sent from Europe, sent by soldiers that were involved in World War I. Now, by uh, 1919, this uh, the war is over, and they're kind of wrapping it up. This is a letter from Sergeant F.C. Welburn. He was in the 167th Infantry American Expeditionary Force. Dear Sally, I haven't heard from you in some time, but I have been in so many places that I don't think my mail can keep up with me. I left France in November when the fighting stopped. I got my full share of it, have got shot twice, and I'm still here. I was in the last battle. I was with the first company that took positions on the Mints. I am not sorry the war is over. I have begun to want to go back to the States. I feel I have done my part. We did not ride into Germany. We walked all the way through Belgium to Luxembourg. It took us about 17 days. 
We are looking to come home next month, but we're only guessing at it, of course. We all feel that we should be sent home as we were about the first over here, and now some divisions have gone home ahead of us. I have never seen anyone from Hart County yet. I have a nice place to stay, a good room, and the people are very good to me, even if they are our enemies. Write me real soon. I may be in the States when it gets here, but you know, I can be disappointed. Love to all. That's the way we do it down in Georgia. Everybody swing your honey, swing your high and low. The yellow man left for the old left hand, around the ring you go. A grand old right left walk on your heel and toe. Promenade that pretty gal to Georgia. That's all.